Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you know you're in the right place. This is the 2018 season debut of one of our most popular series, Internet of Things with Game Changers, season five, actually. So welcome, and let's get this party started. Let's see, what's the buzz on the street today? Well, the buzz is a quote from Steve Jobs, I found, that will be the perfect way to set up our topic. Steve Jobs, come on, you all remember, and actually he passed away on October 5th, 2011. The day we launched our first, the day we launched our first show on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here's a wonderful quote I found: "Design is not just what it looks like and feels like. Design is how it." works. Aha, now I've set the stage. So, do you remember how excited you were and how much anticipation when you got your first smartphone, whether it was an iPhone or not? Do you remember how curious you were the first time you typed the at sign online to get to a website? What was all that about? And you didn't know exactly what was going to happen and what the page would look like? Who knew it was a page? Your experience on those events was in the hands of UX designers who created those interfaces. Let's fast forward to today. As our world becomes increasingly digital, and it is by the second, we now more than ever expect great experiences in every interaction we have with every business, every organization, every person, with every product, and with every service. So what does that mean for the UX user experience designers of today? Well, we have three of them on the panel, and we're going to find out. Let me tell you briefly who's going to be on, and then we'll get started with the opening quotes. First up, in a moment, and I'll be introducing you to Matt Graycar. And if you're looking him up, it's G-R-A-J. The J is silent. It sounds like a Y, actually. C-A-R. He's a senior interaction designer at Google. Joining him on the panel is R.J. Owen, a senior technology and user experience consultant. And he's the host of Denver's chapter of Creative Mornings. We'll find out about that. And rounding out the panel is Sean Sievertson, a managing partner at Convergent IS. And we also have some input from a young lady at SAP who was unable to join us but did prepare for the show. She's not with us, but we will be reading some of her notes. It's Maricel Kabahug, SVP, Senior VP, Global Head of Design, UX, and Fiori Product Management at SAP. So I may read her opening quote as part of this opening. So let's get started introducing Matt Graycar. And Matt has sent me a quote from John Lasseter. I didn't know who John Lasseter was, but I found out. He's an American (laughs) animator and filmmaker, always educating me, Matt. He's the chief creative officer of Pixar, oh my, Pixar Animation Studios, Walt Disney Animation Studios, and Disney Toon, and he's the principal creative advisor for Walt Disney Imagineering. He's on a six-month sabbatical. We won't exactly say why, but John Lasseter, here's the quote. The art challenges the technology, and the technology inspires the art. Matt Graycar, pleasure to have you on the show. Talk to me and tell me, how did you find this quote from John Lasseter, and what does it mean for our topic, please? Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. It's, uh, uh, it's a huge honor. Um, thank you. <laughs> so I've, been a, I've been a huge fan of John Lasseter's. Um, I actually went to film school, uh, and so 
I think I had heard this quote a couple of years ago, and it just kind of stuck with me. And then once I got, you know, uh, further into UX, um, I realized how true this is in a lot of areas of technology. But um, kind of this, this cycle that happens when you have, you know, uh, the, the science of something, the technology is getting, is getting pushed, and it's, it's becoming more advanced, and uh, it's becoming a little bit less accessible to, to your average person. And then you have designers who come in, and they kind of, like, bring that back down to earth, and they make it more accessible to people. In John Lasseter's world, that looked like, you know, um, maybe they had some, some uh, advanced particle effects for rendering th- 3D animations. And, uh, and people, uh, you know, the, the artists and the designers were able to say, okay, let's use that to make, you know, falling snow or something, something really beautiful to be able to tell this story in a more powerful way and really put the viewer there. And uh, in doing so, maybe they said, oh, let's, you know, let's, let's create some wind effects and turn this into a blizzard. And, and, you know, and the technology people said, whoa, hold on. We don't, I don't think we know how to do that. Let's figure that out. And so they would try to build, you know, build that into the technology and advance the technology. And I see that, that same cycle happen in, in UX and in what I do every day. Um, at Google, as, as I'm designing, um, maybe I'm trying to incorporate something fairly, fairly new like machine learning, and I can get a debrief from the machine learning team telling me kind of what's possible right now. And then I say, well, what about, you know, that's pretty cool. It gets me thinking, you know, what if, what if we tried this? What if we added this into the product? And, and then they say, oh, man, I don't know. Let's get, we'll get back to you. you got to go work on that. And then it's kind of this cyclical nature where, um, you know, the, the, the art is, is constantly challenging the technology and the technology in turn, um, once it's able to do certain things, is inspiring the, the art or, or the designers. Um, and it, to me, it's, a, it's this tension that I think is really, is really important. Thank you, Matt. Great introduction. I have a, a quick question for you, and I will ask each of our other panelists the same question. I know we're not a Q&A interview, but I think this is interesting. Do you love what uh-huh. you do as a UX designer? Is this something that you, every day, you, you, you kick yourself and you say, wow, I'm in the right place. I'm at the right time. I love what I do. I'm going to do this for a long time. What, what's your, what are your quick thoughts about that? <laughs> it's funny you should ask because I had this conversation with someone recently. I'm not the kind of person who would who would say that, but it's it's actually true. Like I, I don't like committing myself to to saying something as definitive as I love my job, I love you know what I do, I love the company I work for, I get up every day with a smile on my face. But it, it's actually true. It's been a long road to get here, but I really do enjoy being a UX designer. It's exciting. It's it puts me on the cutting edge and it keeps me sharp. And uh, it's just a super fascinating field field to be in. Thank you. That's what I was hoping you would say. I didn't want to put any words in your mouth, but you came up with that's what I was hoping for, and that's going to be the, the backbone of why this panel is so interesting. Thank you, Matt. We have a lot more sure. to hear from you, and now let me introduce our second panel. He is R.J. Owen, a senior tech and user experience consultant, and that's exactly why he's here. And R.J. has sent us a quote from Daniel J. That stands for Joseph Borstein, who lived from 1914 to 2004. He was an American historian at the University of 
of Chicago who wrote on many topics in American and world history. He was appointed the 12th librarian of the U.S. Congress in 1975 and served until 87, instrumental in creating the Center for the Book at the Library of Congress. I was very impressed when I learned that, RJ. Here's the quote from <laughs> Borstein. The greatest, op- I, I love trivia, dear. The, here's the quote. The greatest obstacle to discovery is not ignorance, but the illusion of knowledge. Well, I think that's a mantra to live by, R.J. Owen. Welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Oh, I'm great. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. It's great to be here. We are delighted. So talk to me about this quote. How'd you find this one? Oh, well, uh, a former coworker of mine uh, used to reference this quote a lot, and so I, I kind of picked it up from him. Um, I love this quote just because I love librarians. Uh, no, it's because um, so much of what we do as designers is um, based on trying to design things for people, and oftentimes it's people who don't fit and act like us. They're not designers, and they don't work with technology to the same extent that we do, and it's really easy to make assumptions about what will be uh, natural or intuitive or easy to use for them, and oftentimes if we just if we just guess, we just make assumptions or we just go with what we think is right, um, we make huge mistakes and we make products that are really difficult for people to use. So this quote has always been a good reminder <clears throat> to me that we need to get out there and talk to real people and observe the way that real people do things. Um, I say real people as if designers aren't real people, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> well, are you? Are you real people? Am I talking to real people today, RJ? We are robots. We are AI controlled <laughs> by the aliens. That's right. <laughs> okay, okay, I, I got that. By the way, you have to tell us, please, what is Denver's chapter of Creative Mornings? What do you do, just briefly? Sure. Uh, Creative Mornings is a, an international meetup with chapters in 180 cities around the world. Um, every month, there is an event put on around a, a global theme, and I run the chapter here in Denver. It's a it's sort of a free breakfast club and lecture series for the creative, creative and everyone's welcome. So we explore lots of different creative topics and, and feature creative. It sounds exciting. Yeah. All right, RJ. Thank you. And let's go to our third panelist, Sean Sievertson. Anybody looking for Sean? It's S-H-A-U-N. Sievertson is S-Y-V-E-R-T-S-E-N, Managing Partner at Convergent IS. I think he's been on the show before. And Sean has sent us a quote from Sir Richard Branson. Anybody doesn't know Sir Richard Charles Nicholas Branson, born in 1950. He's a young guy, according to me. English business magnate, investor, philanthropist, founded the Virgin Group, which controls more than 400 companies. He's been busy, you think. In November of last year, 2017, Forbes listed Branson's estimated net worth at... Da, 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 $5.1 billion, and in 2002, he was named in the BBC poll of the 100 Greatest Britons. In 2004, he founded Space Flight Corporation Virgin Galactic, noted for the Spaceship One project. Enough accolades for Sir Branson. Here's the quote that Sean has selected. Quote, you don't learn to walk by following rules. You learn by doing and by falling over. Sean, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. Thanks very much for having me. We are delighted to have you. You have been on with me before, haven't you, Sean? You you bet. It's been a few years. I thought so. I never forget a name and a great voice and a smile. I've got your smiling picture in front of me. So, Sean, talk to me about this quote from Branson. How does this relate to our topic? We're talking UX and experience of the user at the hands of the designer. What do you think? 
Well, you know, it's, it's the hands of the designer and, and, the, and the people that the designer work for that, that really have a tremendous impact on the experience that ultimately is created and, and handed over to those, those people that are, are, are going to experience it. And, and there's a couple of things that go into that, so I'll, I'll try to unpack those as, as quickly mm-hmm. as I can here. Um, first is, is those people are going to have an experience, uh, whether it's designed and intended or not. So it's, it's a really good idea to, to design that with, with intention and very, very deliberately. Um, and, and so that's, that's part of, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll call it um, design with intent. And so in mm-hmm. terms of following rules, you can follow rules that can lead you down a path that creates unintended consequences if, you, if you're not really thoughtful about how you apply them. So in terms of design rules, there are rules that you can follow blindly or you can follow um, with intent and with uh, the, the intent of the rule in mind. And the next one is when you're doing. Uh, I, I think the, the most important thing is when you are designing something, uh, it's both you that are doing and as well as your target audience and having those selected people that are going to be doing with you. Uh, because if you try to design something in isolation, uh, typically you end up with something that seems like a good idea to you until you go talk to other people about it, show them what you're doing. And sometimes sometimes not everyone agrees with you. And if the people that are going to end up using it don't agree, then you know it's time to, time to realize that you have fallen over and, and take that opportunity to learn early and correct early and take that input and recognize that falling over as part of the design process is outstanding because when you ah. have reached that point and you've reached that point really early, so whether you want to call it fall, fail early um, or you want to call it falling over and learning from it, taking the time to go and get that feedback, even in today's uh, design practices, it's so often that we run into scenarios where things are designed and, and pushed out without necessarily checking to see whether it's really going to work for those people that really are going to depend on it or that maybe a product will depend on those people liking and using. Thank you very much, Sean. Very, very interesting. Uh, let me ask a question. Uh, I'm thinking while you're speaking, uh, and I thank you for uh, acknowledging my comment about the hands of the UX designer. Que- and RJ is back, I've just been told. Uh, is there a, a place for ego in the designer's job, the UX designer's job? Because we're talking about failing, letting go. We're talking about getting feedback, getting input, learning from how what you do is received, and and tweaking it and making it a better experience for the user, not just what you wanted it to be. So is there a place for ego in the UX designer's workspace? I, I, I'll suggest that there is, and mm-hmm. probably the most important place to uh, accept and use and channel that is where the designer uh, needs to stand up for the people that are ultimately going to use it. And there are often decision makers that are going to be either holding purse strings or making decisions about how something's going to be done, how something's going to be rolled out. They may have strong feelings on the design. And, and uh, that is the point in, in my suggestion that um, mm-hmm. Ego could and should be used to give the designer that inner strength to say, no, if you do that, you will fail. And you will fail big because you're not failing during the early prototype phase. You're failing during you know, the later, much more, extens- uh, much more expensive right. production phase. 
Interesting. Thank you very, very much. And I have uh, another quote to add from Maricel Kabahug, as I said, uh, SAP Global Head of Design UX and Fiori Product Management at SAP. And I, she was supposed to join us, unable at the last minute, but I just want to read her quote. Uh, we're not going to talk about it, but it goes along with what we're saying. It's a quote from Roger Van Oak, O-E-C-H, uh, young one, also born in 1948, American speaker, conference organizer, author, author and toy maker. Oh, my. I uh, got a Ph.D from Stanford in the self-created interdisciplinary, I like that, self-created interdisciplinary program, History of Ideas, and he started offering his services in creative consulting, creativity consulting, get this, to Apple, IBM, Disney, Sony, and Intel. I guess he really hit the ground running, and here's the quote, just as a sidebar here, it's easy to come up with new ideas. The hard part is letting go of what worked for you two years ago, but will soon be out of date. Uh, Panelists, collectively, can we all make a sigh and say, yes, that's true? Join me in a side. Ah, oh, yeah. there we go. Okay, so shout out, to, shout out to Maricel. So let's go around the table. This is the part of the show called What's in Your Cup Today? Just a little fun storytelling. I'd like to know what fuels the three of you. Let's start with uh, with Matt Graycar. Matt, where are you calling from? And either what's in your cup right now or what did you love to drink over the holiday and or what are you drinking later? Any of the three, go ahead. Oh, man. Uh, so, oh, I'm calling from Denver, Colorado. Um, I live down in Denver, and I work in Boulder. Uh, Google has a, a new Boulder office. Um, and I am currently drinking coffee because it's early and uh, because I have a two-year-old and a three-month-old, neither of whom are sleeping through the night. And so coffee is my best friend these days. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry about not sleeping through the night. I went through that many, many years ago. I didn't sleep for 18 months. My daughter's in her early 40s now, but when she was about six months, I didn't sleep for 18 months with her. It, it was interesting, but it turned out okay. So yeah. have faith. Keep the faith and keep the coffee handy and put something fun in it once in a while. I give you permission. RJ Owen, what's in your cup or what are you dreaming about drinking? RJ? I am drinking some Novo coffee that I've made as a pour-over because I'm a pretentious coffee snob. Oh, my goodness gracious, a pretentious coffee snob. What, what does that really That's mean? Right. Do you look down your nose at people who walk around with a, uh, just say, a <laughs> storefront that starts with the letter D coffee and say, oh, really, you have no clue what you're drinking? <laughs> Tell me. No, not at all. I just, I, I really like the way craft coffee tastes. Denver has an amazing craft coffee scene, and so I've gotten really into high-end, frou-frou, fancy coffee. So I make some of that every morning at home. It's delicious. Very interesting. Thank you very much. And let's talk to Sean. Sean, where are you calling from? Calling from Calgary, Alberta, right next to the beautiful skiing at Banff and Lake Louise. And what are you drinking? Oh, double espresso. Oh, is there a brand name to it? Or is it something you brew at home with somebody's beans? Or how do you do it? It's 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 out of the machine in the office here, uh, but it is from a local coffee roaster. Uh, the the beans are from a, a company called Phil and Sebastian's, and they it's a it's a fun little company that started. Um, they make uh, uh, they they take all of the the coffee snobbery and and all of the engineering know how <laughs> to uh, blend the art and and the passion uh, and the and the and the science to uh, to make some some pretty excellent coffee. 
I like I like the idea of coffee snobs. I think I'm a snob about other things. I don't know, but coffee snob. I have a late-breaking weather report for all of you. I recently moved from Great Neck, Long Island, New York, after living there for 35 years and growing up years many years before that, three miles from there, and I moved to Durham, North Carolina. And right now I am sitting looking at eight inches of snow that fell all day yesterday. There are icicles wow. on my windows. I can hardly see outside my back porch. The pond, which is my backyard, view is partly frozen. The ducks and geese and other fowl, other wildlife are just uh, kind of tottering on the ice, wondering what to do and flapping in the cold water. The sun is sparkling on the pond. The fountain is still going. And we woke up to 13 degree weather. And my friends in New York are telling me they barely got a dusting. So my question to all of you is, how is this possible? I think it's, I think it's your fault. You brought the weather with you. You know what? My friends in New York were asking me if I was getting blamed for this, and I'll tell you why I could, because I recently bought a, a beautiful T-shirt, a very pretty one, with little sparkly letters on it. The letters spell, let it snow, and I haven't worn it yet. It's in my closet, and if anybody finds out, I think they're not going to be very kind to me. But in keeping with my tradition, gentlemen, and Sean knows this, and uh, and Matt and RJ are going to find out, they don't let me have any caffeine on radio show days, and I think you all know why. <laughs> so all I'm al- all I'm allowed to have is decaffeinated, uncaffeinated water. Well, that's a no-brainer, Bonnie. Oh. So I have a cool, clear mug with my pink straw in it, looking out at the magnificent sunshine, and shocked at eight inches of snow trying to topple the tree and shrubs in my front yard and looking at an icy road. The clubhouse in my community has been closed for the day. None of the staff can get there. And a meeting I didn't want to go to tonight has obviously been canceled. And I get to stay home and watch the season debut of Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder. Yay, Shonda Rhimes. So that's my that's my, that's my my drink and that's my shout out. And there's always a benefit to so Yes, I have plenty of milk and eggs and bananas and uh, chicken and turkey meat. So I'm, I'm good to go. I'm here for the day. So Thank you to the three of you. Great opening to the show. And shout out to Ira Burke, who is the sponsor of Internet of Things with Game Changers. And, and I'm always delighted and slightly shocked to tell Ira that his show is sig- always significantly consistently in our top three most popular series. And gentlemen, we currently have, let's see, I'm launching four new series in the next couple weeks. We will have a total of 32 different theme series that are all available live and on demand on World Talk Radio, the business channel. So there, I'm thrilled to have the three of you on with us. And Maricel, you're missing a good show. So we're going to take a quick break. And all I have to say to my listeners is don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back in 90 seconds. You can count them with us, and our topic is important to every single one of you out there around the world. UX 2018, user experiences for a new generation, and we can interpret new generation as a new generation of devices, a new generation of users, a new generation of designers. I think it's a very global concept. So we're talking with Matt Graycar, RJ Owen, and Sean Sievertson. I'll be right back. Matt, Matt, and RJ, and Sean, get ready for the roundtable, and Aaron, out. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. Season 5 launched today. We are so happy to be here with Matt Graycar, R.J. Owen, and Sean Sievertson. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and let's rock and roll on our roundtable segment. I'm looking at notes Matt Graycar Google sent me before the show, and here's where we're going to start. He said... As digital experiences increasingly permeate areas of everyday life, designers must not only provide a way for users to achieve a goal, hmm, but must also provide flexibility in achieving it. Matt, great statement. Tell us more, please. Sure. Um, So I I think that... uh, you know, people engage with digital applications for much more menial tasks than, than they used to. You know, using a computer used to be a whole event. You, you boot it up, you, you load a program. Uh, you know, now we engage with computers or, you know, phones um, by speaking to them, and we, we consult them a million times a day. Um, and so I think um, since having access to, to digital assistance is so easy now, the, the breadth of situations for when people use them are just are enormous. And I think it requires designers to, to start thinking differently. Um, I think apps need to be designed with more consideration for the different contexts that people use them in. Um, it, it, ironically, an article just came out in the New York Times yesterday, and the, the title is something like, it's, it's time for Apple to build a less addictive iPhone. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and in the article, it talks about how they need to design a phone that, um, that encourages people to use, to use it more thoughtfully, more deliberately, and a lot less. And they offered some interesting suggestions to Apple, or I guess the writer of this article offered some interesting suggestions to Apple for how to do this. Um, you know, uh, showing, giving them a report and showing them how much you're actually on Twitter every week, and, you know, are mm-hmm. you proud of that? Um, giving them better control over notifications. Um, a marketing campaign that shows people kind of leaving their phones behind and 
and you know dancing through through the fields you know with their with their uh, smart watches or something like that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And and then there was one sentence in the article about build about design and how design plays into that. And I thought that was interesting that you know I, I don't know if it's if it's something that the platforms should necessarily be be thinking about or if it's something that the the, the builders and the designers of the actual apps should be thinking about, but. I think we're kind of moving into this era where people don't want to be glued to their phones. They don't want an app to force that to to, to force itself um, into center stage in their life. They want it to be more assistive and to be more helpful and a little bit more sensitive to the different contexts in which people use their mobile devices. Interesting, less addictive. I I just think it's a habit. I don't know if it's addictive or a habit. I just have my phone nearby. I've got my messages hooked up on my iPad, my iPhone, and my iMac. No matter where I am, any room in my house or office, I can tell if I'm being messaged. And I pick it up. I, I use my phone more for fo- for photography now than I do my iPad. I've I switch it because it's so small, and I can just drag it around with me. There we go. So let's get to RJ Owen. RJ, what what do you think about agree or disagree with what Matt said? Very interesting and I think very provocative. RJ Owen? Yeah, I I mean, I completely agree with Matt that there's a, a lot that designers need to consider and how to make these things um, simple and, and intuitive and obvious and accessible um, from everywhere and in every context you're in. Uh, the, the question about or the, the topic of addiction is a really interesting one and a thing I think that we are still really struggling through as a, an entire culture around design and technology, just trying to understand, like, the thing that people are, are so addicted to at the end of the day, I think, is information and capability and connection with other people. And it's not the place or, I mean, it's difficult for any one device to be responsible for creating or destroying that much connection, right? I mean, if you think like before we all were carrying around these little devices in our pockets, the amount of time everyone was spending on their computers and wired into their laptop um, was was also pretty extreme. And I think there's a lot of people who probably still feel addicted to their desktop or they were like grateful that their phone set them free from being addicted to their desktop. So I think it's a tough thing to balance. Um, there's certain things that designers can do or need to be concerned about when it comes to, you know, certain like dark patterns, we call them, for um, for creating addictive experiences and not like, you know, making your app basically treat the brain like gambling does, things like that. There's some like obvious missteps or ways that you can, can manipulate people. But I think at the end of the day, the thing that people are most hooked on um, isn't a trick and isn't a gimmick. It's just the simple act of being able to so easily get to so much information and connect with so many other different people. So, so I don't know. I don't know what, um, what place or how much of an impact like creating a less addictive iPhone would really make on influencing that. And I don't know that it's really just one device. I think it's, uh, it's kind of our, our culture as a whole learning how to deal with these new capabilities and the constant access we have to, to yes. each other and information. I think we may be device addicted. I think it could be broader global. Sean Sievertson at Convergent IS, love to get your thoughts. What do you think? You know, I, I, I completely agree that, that there are some things that have been deliberately designed into some of the, the, the tools that we use that, you know, I think are, are genuinely a little, a little dark. I think they kind of run counter to the, the whole don't be evil. Um, you know, when, when something's designed to really suck you in, it, it's, 
it's it's taking you away from everything else in call it real life and and the line between digital and real starts to be blurred and we've seen the impact that that has on uh, research into teenagers and and kids growing up that are less happy when when they're sucked into that so effectively when you're making somebody's real life less happy we as ux designers i think we really have to to collectively take a stand um to make sure that we are designing something that is not addictive but rather is additive to the quality of life for our users that's very provocative let's pass this around the table to matt graycar at google matt what do you mm-hmm. think are you uh, agreeing or disagreeing with that we've gone to another level in this conversation and you started it matt i'd love to get your wrap-up comments on this before i move on to something yeah, in sure. uh, in it rj's is. notes go ahead yeah no it, it is interesting talking about you know addictive tendencies because i think that kind of like goes beyond the scope of what a lot of um designers think about when they're designing apps. Um, I, I think um, my comments were more geared towards, you know, um, kind of encouraging designers to be a little bit more um, thoughtful in the way they, um, you know, design apps and, ma- and making them more assistive and less, um, and less center stage. I, I think a digital experience should complement a real life experience, not detract from it or usurp it. And I think that what RJ said about, you know, what people want, is really they're addicted to connection or information is true. And I think a lot of people are duped into thinking, well, if I, you know, I'm being, I'm connected to these people because I'm just following their Twitter feed all day. And, um, but at the end of the day, do they really feel connected to them? Like, do they really feel like that was time well spent? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, thinking more tactically, I think, I, I think designers do need to come up with ways to think about people's different contexts and how you might be using a certain app. And I can think of one, um, kind of funny example because I've I've just gotten onto the app. Du- my my wife got me onto the app Duolingo. I'm probably the last person to get on that app, but uh, and it makes me feel great because I'm like 14 percent fluent in like five languages. Um, oh, wait, 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 Matt. What's the name of that know. app? I want to look it up. What is it? Oh, it's Duolingo. It's like it's a beautiful app, well designed, and it um, it's for learning languages um, in a really lightweight way. And they have different exercises you can go through to learn, you know, so you pick Spanish and then you can, there are different exercises that you can, that you can go through. And one of them is speaking, you know, into your phone and it kind of tests your pronunciation. And, uh, and the rest are just, you can do silently. And um, whenever those, those speaking exercises come up, there's a little button at the bottom that says, you know, something like, I don't want to speak right now or something like that. And I thought that was very sensitive to, to me, the user. I might, I might be really insecure about my pronunciation. I might be in front of, or, you know, there might be people around. Um, and so it's, it doesn't stop me from going through the lesson be, because I, it forces me onto, you know, into, it, into its plan. And, and that's the only way that I can proceed. It, it, it gives me the option, you know, thinking about, you know, there might be reasons why I might not want to do this. And I thought that was really good, considerate design that was that was uh, you know uh, prioritizing the the user and and what their context might be. 
Thank you, Matt. I looked it up. I'm at Duolingo, D-U-O-L-I-N-G-O dot com, and it says Duolingo learns Spanish, French, and other languages for free. It's the world's most popular way to learn a language, 100% free, fun, and science-based. They offer French, Spanish, German, Japanese, Chinese, Italian. They have it for schools, for teachers, and for entire governments. Wow! I hope the U- I hope the UN or whatever is left of it is using this and knows about this. Thank you for the introduction. Great way to expand this. And RJ, I'm looking at your notes here, and you sent me so much wonderful information, but I think a natural segue here will be to talk about the chatbot. So let me read a little from your notes and ask you to expand it. You say, a lot of people have already said this, but I really believe, this is RJ Owen speaking, the future of technology and user interfaces involves a lot more than screens, and then you add voice-based personal assistance. I have to whisper this one, Alexa, because she's in the next room and she'll answer me. Okay, Google, Siri. Cortana are growing and obfuscating, that means clouding, I looked it up about 30 years ago, obfuscating the need for more screens or screens everywhere. Why? They provide a simpler, more ubiquitous experience. Talk to me about screens and interfaces and let's get your POV, your point of view on the devices that talk to us and possibly know our sentiments better than we do. RJ, you're up. (laughs) Uh, Sure, yeah. Um, I think just that uh, we've already seen this trend really start in consumer devices where more and more people are looking for devices that expand their capabilities beyond just touch screens. And so, yeah, like, like you read there, Bonnie, we've seen all of these personal assistant technologies just explode. Um, Alexa is going into everything. Google's doing a ton of work with OK Google and trying to make that one of the biggest um, platforms for getting through to Google's technology or the biggest interface, interface areas. Um, and up until, I don't know, maybe like four or five years ago, if you were an interface designer, you were 100% concerned with boxes on screens, for lack of a you know, more refined way of putting it there. You were concerned with putting buttons and text and things like that on screens for people to tap or click on. And uh, now that technology is really expanding beyond just the, the device with the screen, um, with things like the Internet of Things and putting sensors and and um, speakers and microphones into everything, we have so many more ways to interact and we're able to make it more natural and intuitive than when you're just tapping around on the screen. So I think that uh, chatbots and AI provide a, a huge opportunity for us to interact with our technology in a lot more intuitive, more meaningful, and more natural way where the device can be kind of out of your hair and out of your face. Um, rather than just like finding new ways to strap screens onto things. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I don't want to have, you know, basically like another iPhone in my refrigerator and one on my microwave <laughs> and a mini iPhone strapped to my wrist with my Apple Watch and another one like, I don't know, strapped to my shoes. I just want to get the capabilities of having sensors and, and, and uh, sorry, and computer chips embedded in everything without having to have more screens to worry about. And so I think that that's something that it's taking a while to pay off, but it's finally coming around. And I will tell you that I wake up every morning and I, I go to her and I say, good morning, Alexa. And then I ask her what the weather is. Sometimes I ask her to play my favorite songs. Sometimes I ask her if she likes me and she says, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> and all kinds of good stuff. Don't wear that and, T-shirt today because your friends will know the snow is your fault. 
This is true. And then I will ask her to tell me the news. And the funniest thing is she brings up the SAP Digitalist Flash Briefing. And guess who the voiceover person is for Digitalist? It's me. So I'm in my kitchen <laughs> making breakfast, listening to me doing my, my version of a Digitalist Magazine article that has been posted on Alexa Skills. And then she gives me the Reuters news. And every time this happens, I just laugh out loud. I'm alone here, which is okay, because I never expect to hear my voice giving me a flash briefing in my own kitchen on Alexa just out of the blue. It's it's just an amazing so talk about sentiment. She cheers me up. That's cool. So let's turn let's move from RJ. Thank you to Sean Sievertson at Convergent IS. Sean, I'd love to get your thoughts on on what RJ just introduced. Very important aspect of our topic. Go ahead. You know, I I think when when we're thinking about the, the pervasiveness of, of those little devices that are in everything. I'll, I'll completely agree. You know, we don't, we don't need more phones. We, we actually need uh, less things that we're talking to. And, and I'm thinking about, uh, we had some, some friends and family over last night, and we'd asked uh, Alexa to, to play a song, and Alexa said, I, I, I don't know that song. So we all thought, well, that, that's funny. So um, this, of course, you know, got, a, got a few laughs as I immediately turned and said, hey, uh, uh, the the Apple device. Who, if I say her name too loud, she'll pop up and 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 there talk you go. Right? Hey, play this play this song for us. And of course, they're Bluetooth paired, so you know the the Apple digital assistant knew the song and started playing it, and that was you know Bluetooth through the uh, the Alexa one, and that was you know coming at the Bluetooth speakers, and and then of course you know the the kids because I can certainly relate to the lack of sleep. We have a one just just four and a five year old, so. Oh my. Um, it, coffee is a, a, a pretty important ingredient first thing it's in the morning. It's a staple. <laughs> the, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not just a staple. It's a full-on addiction. Now, and, and <laughs> that, that, <clears throat> so it's a full dependency. Um, so having, having more devices, having more things that, for instance, in, in last night's example, have to be daisy-chained together uh, mm. because one of them doesn't know how to do it, but the next one does, uh, creates, I think... Um, a really interesting design consideration in terms of which which bot, which machine learning device, which little bit of AI are you interacting with, and does it know the bounds of what it uh, does well and what it doesn't, and does it know which other device to turn to to ask to help with that? Um, and I think we're seeing some of that with the collaboration across bots as bots are being, um, you know, brought in under the hood into APIs to make yeah. um, a, a, a more successful experience in something like a, uh, Alexa with skills or in some enterprise technology where APIs are brought together with, through different bots so you can bring together more things in, in, a, in, a, in a hub. And so I think mm. when, we, when we think about how to, how to align ourselves around those hubs, something like an iPhone can become a hub, something like uh, an Echo can become a hub. And then, you know, how do we... Without, without wanting our privacy completely uh, blown out the window by giving both of these devices access to our calendars and contacts and all of these other things, how do we, how do we help them work and play more effectively together so that they can ask themselves how to solve the, the, the question of, you know, where is this song? And if you don't know it, what can you do to help the user um, fulfill their request without having to go and turn to the next device in the series and ask the question? Very well put. Matt Graycar, going around the table to you, what do you think, Matt? Join us. I think that if Sean had a Google Home, he would have only had to give that command once. (laughs) (laughs) 
Point uh, well taken. Know, I, Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Oh, crickets. Oh, no. Uh, no, I, I, I think, yeah, I agree with Sean. I think integration is super important, um, and it's a really interesting topic. I feel like we could have a whole other um, uh, show dedicated to designing with integration in mind instead of trying to build everything into your, into your product. Um, but uh, I do think, too, I, I agree with RJ that um, – that people are looking for digital experiences to be a little bit more natural and nobody wants a whole bunch of screens everywhere. And um, I think it's, it's a really exciting time to be a UX designer. Um, my, my official title at Google is interaction designer. And I think that's more accurate, even though that fits under the UX umbrella, it's more accurate than calling it, you know, user experience, because I think mm-hmm. the term user in and of itself is a little is a little strange too. Um, it's hard. The, the the line is blurred between when I'm just a normal person and when I'm a user, right? I, I the more I interact with these devices and the more I talk to them like I would a person, um, the the less you know I I'm I need to be ascribed this this title of user, and the more it's just I'm just a person talking to my devices like I would talk to to other people. Very good point. I always bristle at the word user. Uh, people use it so use it so often, and I'm saying user. That's anybody who is doing something is using something or doing something. And I, I've I've had a problem with that. So I think part of our, our crystal ball predictions to the three of you is going to have to be come up with a new word for users that we can agree on. I think it's it's time has come. Um, uh, I'm, I'm talking. I'm going to talk to Sean now, RJ, because we're running late on time. I just want to bring up, if you don't mind. I want to bring up one of Sean's topics. I know we just had some very yeah. interesting details from him, but we're about four minutes away from Crystal Ball. So, Sean, to honor you, I want to just read a couple of statements from your list here and just have you give us a little POV on this. You say, it is an art to craft beautifully simple solutions. You can tell, Sean, that I'm dreaming about this while I'm reading this. It is an art to craft beautifully simple solutions and sustainable transformation where complexity and confusion used to reign. Sean, can you give us a little look back? Where was that complexity and that confusion? Was it back in the day when I mentioned in my opening when we first got our first smartphones? What do we do with this? How do I get instructions? What experience am I going to have? And when we first went online, I don't know if any of you were old enough to remember that first time when you hit the AOL button and the little music came on. I used to call my neighbors in in the 90s who were much older than I was and say, you got to hear this. And they'd gather around my computer when I went on AOL and it would go, you've got mail. (laughs) They actually were completely dumbfounded because they had no idea what it was. So Sean, when was the day, how long ago when complexity and confusion used to reign at the hands of the UX designer. Sean? You know, I'll, I'll suggest that in, in many cases it still does. Uh, <laughs> and in, in, in some of those cases, Touché. I think it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's a, a factor, in particular in the enterprise, um, where the businesses either have not had the, the interest or, or the capacity, whether it's financial or otherwise, or, or, uh, um, or you know, leadership to... Uh, to to invest in renewing some of that user experience, and in the in the consumer space, I think we I think we've seen a tremendous transformation in in what that user experience is. I mean, when we think about uh, the transformation from from command lines that used to be 
um, you know, they look so cool on, on the screen in a movie where somebody can make this little green screen do amazing things. And, and I'm you know, old enough to, to, to remember using that. And the, the experience transformation as we went through to, to a GUI and then the experience transformation through to much more deliberately, um, you know, person-centric, human-centric design in, in terms of goal-based navigation and role-based navigation. I think, I think those are the things that really uh, help bring it home. And in the enterprise, having things that are designed that are role-based, that help somebody navigate their way through a complex process, a complex policy, and having, having that embedded guidance um, to, to help them find success uh, helps remove confusion and it helps accelerate that business process, which ultimately helps accelerate the entire business. Um, and, yes, and I think it, it, that's, that's the beautiful simplicity that, that as, as designers, whether it's in, in the consumer space or in the enterprise space, that we, that we want to we target. We want it to be so easy. You don't need a manual. You don't need training. Very true. And, and you know, I think those of us who, who remember that transition, that transformation, if you will, of the coming of age of designers to understand that we're people and we need something delightful. Oh, wow. What a word. Delightful in our user experience. I won't even say user experience. Um, it's interesting to me that there are still so many websites you go to visit and it's the navigation is just god awful. And there are so many opportunities for us to say, seriously, I've got to try this five times. I will not mention names, but I live in a, a community here. Here where there is uh, my blank, 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 where we go. It's like an intranet where people post questions. I would say three out of every five times the link is broken or it comes up with something that says user account and will allow me to log in and see nothing. It is an abomination of a digital experience. And I don't know who runs it. I think it's the, the organization that built this community. But those of us who are here, and, and it's 55 plus, but many of us like me are still working full time. We are aware of the world. Everybody's got a smartphone. And I'm just going to come out and say it's inexcusable that we have to put up with this barrier to communications on a daily basis. It's horrible, and I can't believe that any company would allow their people to do something that is such a roadblock to to delight, to saying, wow, this is great. We can talk to people. We can share information instead of saying, crap, I tried. I logged in five times, and it blocked me. It, won't, it comes up on one device and not on the other. Anyway, I rest my case. It is time for the Crystal Ball Predictions round. We're going to circle around, and Sean, thank you for those words of wisdom and reality check, all of you. I'm getting comments here from my engineer, Aaron, who says, these guys are really good. I can't believe Matt and RJ, it's their first time on Game Changers. And Sean, so happy to have you back. So there's a compliment for the three of you. And to go with that oh, compliment, I, I have a surprise for the three of you when we're done. So Matt Graycar, I'm giving you 60 seconds. Use them wisely. I'd love to have your crystal ball prediction. What's going to change? Will we call it the Matt Graycar effect or experience in 2020 instead of UX or user experience? I'm going to give you 60 <laughs> seconds. They're all yours. Matt, go. <laughs> well, I hope my name is not involved in it, whatever it is, because uh, <laughs> no one would be able to pronounce it. Um, I think I, can. I think technology. <laughs> I think technology will, will quickly advance to to the point where we will engage with it more the way we engage with humans. And I think UX design is the art of humanizing machines, and uh, and I think that uh, again, it's an exciting time to be a UX designer. Um, more importantly, or more accurately, to be an interaction designer as we kind of dig into what it means to interact with different devices that aren't, that don't have keyboards or may, maybe don't have screens. 
Um, crystal ball prediction, I think it's going to be a lot more talking and a lot less typing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I do think the term user is going to go away, thankfully. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. RJ Owen, 60 seconds are all yours. Um, I agree with Matt, and I would add that I think 2018, maybe not quite this year, maybe it's next year, but um, pretty soon we see the rise of, uh, let's call it like the Netflix effect for everything, where the product is something that is served to you through the device more than the device itself. We're going to stop caring so much about whether it's an iPhone or an Android phone, and it's going to be much, much, much more about the content streaming through that thing content companies who are able to deliver across all of these devices are going to win. I like that a lot. Thank you very much. And Sean Sievertson, I saved 60 seconds for you. Go ahead. Brilliant. Thanks. I, I really think this year is going to be a great year for uh, uh, businesses to catch up with the consumer experience and mm. create um, acceleration in their, in their businesses. Um, driven by making things as easy as uh, ordering something online. When you have so many things in business that new people come in and they're confused, they're not sure where to go next, if they can make some of those functions, as many of those functions as they can, as easy as ordering off Amazon, where the complexity is built into the sequence and organization of questions that are presented to them to help them do their job, that will be a tremendous step towards making people's experience in the enterprise much more on par, at least approaching more on par with what we've been seeing in the consumer space. Thank you very much. And I, I'm just going to read one comment from Maricel Cabahag's notes. I know she wasn't able to be with us. She says, too often companies forget that the central pillar of every engagement with their company is the end user. And, and she's using the word user. We'll let her, she's not here. So we'll have to tell her we're not going to use that word anymore. Ha ha. I have a surprise for the three of you. I hope it's a good one. I'm going to invite the three of you back and we'll invite Maricel as well to do part two of this topic because it's much bigger than we have time for today. I think we can all agree on that on our flagship show coffee break with game changers i'll send you an invitation it'll be in just a few weeks and all i need is a new opening quote from you uh matt and rj and sean would you accept my invitation if i send it to you later you betcha absolutely good good Way too much fun. Lots to talk about. This is a big, big topic. Ira Burke, who's the sponsor of this series. Uh, Ira, forgive me, but I've already poached your first show of the year to come on and do part two on Coffee Break because that's what I do. So I want to do a shout out to the three of you and to Maricel, Matt Graycar. Such a pleasure. RJ Owen, you all rock. Thank and you. Sean Sievertson, great to have you. Thank you, Maricel. Thank you. And wish you could. She'll join us next time, I'm sure. And a shout out, as always, to our engineer extraordinaire. I call him fearless because he is. You have no idea what goes on behind the scenes while we're running a live show between me and Aaron. A lot's going on here because we want it to be good. We've just been talking about UX 2018, user experiences for a new generation. I like the term user or interaction design instead of UX design. I think we'll talk about that next time. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I want to thank you for joining us. That's the end of our broadcast week. We'll be back with some brand new series next week. We're starting a series called The Future of Work. We're starting another series called uh, Asia 
rising APJ Game Changers in a few weeks. We're starting one called Game Changing Conversations. So much going on here at Game Changers. So here's my call to action, and it's the same as last year because it still works. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Matt Graycar, just like R.J. Owen, and just like Sean Sievertson and Maricel Cabahug. Have a great day. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.